Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <laughs> We're following a developing story, this one out of Colleton County. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Double homicide involving a mother and son. Both deaths resulting from apparent gunshot wounds. In this town, nobody questioned the Murdochs for 100 years. You know, powerful people make powerful enemies. You commit a murder in the 14th Circuit, the odds of you going to death row are high. From the studios of WCIV ABC News 4 in Charleston, this is the podcast Unsolved South Carolina. Case file number one, the Murdochs. Hampton County, now one, where's your emergency? Yeah, uh, I just going down the wrong Parkerville Road. Mm-hmm. I see somebody laying out in the road. Oh, in the road? Yeah. All right, so what's your name and call that number? Uh, my name is Ronnie Caper. Okay, all right, Mr. Caper, can I get a phone number for you? Uh, Ronnie Capers, please. Yes, sir. This is uh, Corporal Dunk with the Highway Patrol. Yes, sir. Uh, from my understanding, you uh, you uh, found a body in the roadway. Uh, it's early in the morning, 3.57 a.m., when this call comes in to 911. in the roadway. Uh, I ain't moving or nothing like that, but uh, somebody's going to hit him. It's dark. Uh-huh. Somebody's going to hit him. Wednesday, July 8, 2015. The only person that, uh, that that has any knowledge about it, from my understanding, is what you uh, saw when you got there. Is that correct? Anybody else come up after you got there? Uh, no, sir. Ronnie Capers tells Corporal Duncan that he left his mother-in-law's house in his pickup truck an hour earlier. Ronnie's on his way to work. It's dark. He's watching the road for deer. And is that the same route you take every morning? Yes, sir. Okay, and when you uh, when you was driving down the road, just tell me what you saw and what you did uh, when you uh, came upon this little incident. Okay, well, I came up because I was going to school because it's dead bad on that road. And uh, I just came around the curve about uh, uh, Joe Miley Road, and uh, it was dark. Joe Miley Road veers straight into a long stretch of Sandy Run Road, which takes you to Crockettville. And I thought it was another deer in the road, and that's... Lance Corporal David Rowell is not far away. He's in the town of Hampton. I was en route to Darlington uh, for pit training. Um, I stopped at the Shell station there in Hampton on US 278, fill up with gas, uh, noticed a uh, EMS and first responders coming through town with lights and siren on. Now, Raul is a 23-year veteran with the South Carolina Highway Patrol. He heads to the scene to secure it. Upon arrival, um, there was two 
firefighter units, uh, first responders there. Uh, they rushed back to my vehicle, said that it was a was a fatal. When I got up to the scene, I noticed uh, a young white male lying in the roadway. He had no abrasions, um, no torn clothes. His shoes were still on his feet, uh, cell phone still in his pocket. Uh, like I said, the only injuries that I noticed to this young man was to his head. He didn't come home that night. Wednesday morning, Sandra Smith wakes up. She can't find her 19-year-old son, Stephen. We heard on the radio that a body had been thrown out of a car um, onto Sandy Run Road. So I called Stephanie to ask um, if they were okay because it was right down the road from where they lived. Stephanie is Stephen's twin sister. And she said that Stephen didn't come home that night. And so then we waited patiently because we couldn't find him. And I called some officers that I knew. And they didn't confirm it, but they told me that they were going to, he should have been at school that morning. And Stephen, he's the young man alone in the roadway. I feel like, especially the family, I mean, they just deserve, they deserve the truth. It's not, I mean, I couldn't imagine losing my brother. But Stephen's death is just not that straightforward. And then another two deaths in this part of South Carolina's low country lead investigators back to his six-year-old case. We still don't know why. And we begin tonight at 11 o'clock with breaking news. SLED has reopened a cold case involving the death of a Hampton County teenager. The agency said they made their decision based on information gathered while investigating the double murder of Maggie and Paul Murdaugh. He was just my heart. He was my heart. Yeah, he was mama's boy. <laughs> it's June 24th, 2021. Stephen's mother, Sandra, his twin sister, Stephanie, and cousin Connie Whitehead come to a park gazebo in Beaufort, South Carolina, to be interviewed. It feels like yesterday. It's just every day, you know, I have to relive it. It's two weeks after Paul and Maggie Murdoch are murdered at the family's hunting lodge in Colleton County. It's two days after the state's law enforcement division, SLED, announces it's reopening Stephen's death investigation due to something related. How would you describe Stephen's personality? Flamboyant. The, he was out of this world, you know. He took Stephanie was her twin brother's keeper for 18 years. Everywhere we went, he was with me. He took forever to put his makeup on. You know, he was always the last to get ready. You know, last minute in the car, two minutes, you know, before anything. Oh, I still got to put my makeup on. I got to look good, you know. Stephen was certainly a good-looking boy, too, in an all-American sense. He had sandy blonde hair, bright blue eyes. He just wanted to make sure he was the limelight, you know, of every situation, which he always was. That was never-ending. It was never a dull moment, never. He was a clown. Stephen's mom, Sandra. He wouldn't let me kiss him, so I used to have to hold him down and kiss him. And then he would just, like, sneak up behind me and, you know, just tickle my neck. And, and then we would chase each other and just, just so I could give him a kiss because he didn't like to be kissed. <laughs> Did you know Stephen at all? Yes, sir. He was my best friend. Okay. Angela, she told police she texted with Stephen six okay. days before he died. And did you know Stephen was gay? I did. Okay. But perhaps Stephen's dad didn't. He had texted me um, telling me that he was going to tell his dad that I gave him a hickey, and I was like, no, I didn't. He's like, well, if my dad asked me, that's what I'm going to tell him. 
Stephen did as he pleased. It was chaotic, but loving at the same time. You know, um, we fought often, physically, um, but, you know, we still loved each other regardless. You know, yeah, we would have our fights, but maybe an hour later we're, you know, best friends again. So just normal brother and sister. Their cousin Connie pipes in. Stephen was amazing. He was a light. He was not going to absorb your bad mood. He was going to make you be in a good mood. He was absolutely, as his mom said, he was a clown. He was, he was really a light for our family. His infectious personality, his bubbly spirit, his sense of humor. I love how he, how he radiated. He really did. That's what makes this whole thing so tragic. But two weeks before Stephen's death, his family says his demeanor changed. Stephanie tells investigators it was around the time that summer school started. In high school, he was kind of open and friends with everybody, but he didn't have, you know, like a best friend. And of course, I was always there. Right. When he got into college, the first semester, he was acting normal. And then when he started doing summer classes, that's when he started acting a little funny. And, um, and when you say funny... He started coming home late. He was taking classes up the road at Orangeburg Calhoun Technical College, often carpooling with two women. Stephen's parents were divorced, so he and his sister Stephanie, they went back and forth between those homes. And the houses, no, they weren't that far apart from each other either. It's Corporal Dr. South Carolina Highway Patrol, mate, post C. Case number on this will be CL-062-15. Uh, today's date will be July the 17th, 2015. I'm attempting to call the victim's mother. Over the past couple weeks, did you notice anything strange about his actions or anything that seemed to be bothering him? Anything that you just uh, feel like, you know, that, um, you know, that, that as a mother, you know, get that mother's intuition that there was something bothering him or that, you know, he was having any... Him coming to my house, that was strange, and, um... Him not studying like he normally did. And, and would you he even didn't go to school. He played hooky from school. And he never missed school. Was he telling you where he was hanging out or what what he was doing? No. Um, well, my mom said he started going over to her house. He would skip school some days and go to her house and okay. stay there until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And other times, Stephanie says her brother would stay out very late. Not sure where. However, Stephanie says she knew her brother was using dating apps and placing dating ads on Craigslist. Was he trying to meet people on, on these accounts? In other words, like a dating website. Um, he would, it was more of a friend thing. Okay. He didn't really want anything, you know, too close and personal with these people. He just wanted somebody to talk to, and that's how he talked to all these people. But she's still worried. I always told him to leave all them people on the internet because he was going to mess with the wrong person and something was going to happen. So we connected. He had placed an ad on Craigslist. This is a highway patrol interview with a man who was contacted through Facebook by Stephen's mother after her son's death. Now, she found a gate pass to his home. This is what he told investigators with his name on it in Stephen's car. That's why he reached out to investigators about what he called a one-night stand with Stephen barely a week before he died. He told investigators that he spoke to Stephen's mom about their meetup. So I responded to it, and, um, and so he met me one, well, I guess it was the evening of June 28th, but she was pretty understanding of it. 
And then um, I said, well, you know, were you aware that he had placed, you know, some Craigslist ads? You know, because there's crazy people out there. I'm, 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 I'm a very nice person, and, you know, um, I would never do any harm to anybody. Um, but, just, but that, you know, I know there are some crazy people out there. So, no, I think it's it's a, it's a remote possibility that it might be somehow related to, you know, an, another similar, you know, Craigslist encounter, and you know, but not everybody likes his sexual orientation. Now, another one of Stephen's acquaintance pops up as well, Mark Bickhart. The 47-year-old told police and Stephen's family after Stephen died that he was Stephen's boyfriend. Conversation that y'all were having, what was the conversation y'all were talking about? Just normal boyfriend and boyfriend talk. Stephanie was not convinced. Here's what she told investigators. Did he have any type of boyfriends or anything like that? Stevens never had a relationship. That's one thing that got me when this guy said I'm his boyfriend because he's not Stevens' type. Okay. And, you know, when this guy's like I'm his boyfriend, I'm just like, uh, no, you're more of a sugar daddy. And he got mad at me for saying that. Other than you, who else would he may have been seeing? That's a good question because according to the sister, um, there's, he's been seeing other guys. Mark the tells investigators he and Steven talked about each other's Craigslist ads. Have y'all been arguing prior to that? I wouldn't say an argument. It was just um, I put I seen his um his Craigslist, and it was mainly what it was was he put it up there to show me, and I told him I wasn't seeing anybody, and I said somebody's screwing around with my Craigslist. I said, because they should all be down. I says I killed all my stuff once. Once, once we got serious about it, we were about to get. Ma- we were going to get married. His mother, his sister, and this supposed boyfriend Mark all tell investigators about Stephen's frequent trips to Bobcat Landing in Bamberg just before he died. He started coming home late and going to Bamberg all the time, and and that was over the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when you say he was going to Bamberg, did y'all know where he was going at in Bamberg? Nobody knew? No. Um, does your mother know? Did she have any idea? She said that he was hanging out at Bobcat Landing. Bobcat is a boat landing slash swimming area. It's popular with campers and kayakers. It would have been about a 40-minute drive from home on Highway 601 for Stephen. I know he wasn't doing anything illegal, but he... Um he was hanging out at Bobcat Landing. Okay. After school. And it's where Mark says Stephen spent his 4th of July. Look at what the 4th was. Was the 4th. Saturday. That was the night that I got a call from him. He was out at the boat landing. Stephen's twin Stephanie told investigators the very last time she saw her brother was on Tuesday, July 7th. Uh, on the night that he uh, uh, died or the morning that he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you talked to him at all that day? The last, all right, um, the day, like, before he left that day, um, he was at Bronson Exxon getting cigarettes for my dad, and he called me and told me his car wouldn't crank. Cause and what, I, what time was that? Um, it was about 5.30. In the afternoon? Yes. Okay. And, um, so I checked his car, I went to go jump it off, and it's like somebody loosened his battery connections. Okay. They unscrewed it and loosened them. So I tightened him back up and I followed him all the way home. He hopped in the shower, got out, and left at exactly 6 o'clock. Okay. And that was the last time. Did he say where he was going to? No. All right. Hello. Uh, is this Rachel? This is Rachel. Rachel, this is Corporal Duck with the South Carolina Highway Patrol. How are you doing today? 
Good. Let me ask you a couple questions. You and Stephen went to school together, is that correct? That's right, we did. Corporal Duncan is talking to Stephen's friend who carpooled to school with him during the year. He's hoping she can shed some light on his goings-on. She'd been in contact on Tuesday as well. Did you see him on July the 7th? That'd be the night before he, or really the day before he died? I didn't. All I did was talk to him, like text him, but I didn't physically see him, no. Oh, so you didn't see him that day. Did no. and, and when you talked to him, do you remember what time of day you talked to him? Um, it was around, I think, 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Seven. I did, yeah, I think it was like 7 or 8 I talked to him. That was the last time that I talked to him. Did he tell you what he was going to be doing for the evening? He did, and we were just talking about um, school. I was asking him about the scrubs and stuff like that, but he didn't say specifically what he was doing or where he was at or anything. She's referring to a medical course that they were interested in called scrubs. Did y'all have class that day? We did. Okay. I didn't have class. I know he was taking summer classes, but I didn't have summer classes. So I'm not sure if he had school that day or not. According to investigators, Stephanie says Stephen did indeed go to class on Tuesday. But as far as his friends, Mark's name, the boyfriend, well, he's never mentioned. Now, as far as uh, friends uh, besides yourself, did he hang out with anybody else? Not of my knowledge. Um, we used to ride to school a couple of times with huh? um, my other friend, Brittany. But he had, as far as my knowledge, he hasn't hung out with her like since last semester in the um, spring. But um, other than his sister, Stephanie, um, that's the only people I really know that he would have hung out with. Okay, all right. And did he ever, let me ask you this, did he ever have anybody say that, did he ever have problems with anybody that he discussed with, or was he just more private? Not to my knowledge. He, um, if he did, he never said anything to me about it. As far as I know, everyone, you know, he was very likable. Everyone liked him, you know. So not to my knowledge that... Anyone didn't like him. However, Mark tells investigators he talked to Stephen several times on Tuesday. Had you been talking with him at all? We were mainly texting up until later on. I think I did talk to him at some point. I don't remember when. Mark reports that Stephen told him he was getting harassed at a gas station. But it's a different gas station than the one his sister had said she met Stephen at to jumpstart his car that night. Did he ever say anything suspicious was was happening to him? Or that he, night? Yes. He did say um, that he felt he was being followed. Okay. And did he give you any indication? And I'm not, like I said, this is generic. I, I don't expect... Well, if you ask specific questions, I'm going to give you what I know. I have been asking you the same questions I'm asking you now. But the... Can I do something? Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. All right. The thing, the thing, uh, the thing I'm asking is, when he said that he felt like he was being followed, did he say, you know, there's a car following me, or I was in a restaurant, or I was at the gas station? They said he was up there, but he was up at that blinking light up there. He okay. said to me, his family said he was up at the Exxon. He said he was up, and I can't remember if you go out like you're going out to Walterboro, sir. There's a four-way blinking light, and there's a store right to the right. Mm-hmm. Snyder's Crossroads. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I don't know where. He said he was out there. They said he got cigarettes at Exxon. Now, let me ask you this. Is that where he said he felt like he was being followed at? Yes, he said that he was being harassed at that store. By who? He didn't say. He said it was a couple of guys in the pickup truck. If I call correctly, he said they were, they were rednecks. 
but I know. Did he ever give you a description of the pickup truck? He may or may not. Um, he said it just had it was big and it was tall. He didn't give me a description with the mud tires. But the last time we talked that night, before the phone went down, and I said to him, "Are you working or not?" I called him back. Or was that before? I know at one point I heard mud tires. I heard big mud tires. When was the last time you talked to Steve? That night. Alright. About what time? Not the text, but about what time is the last time you talked to him? You have to remember with all this, I took my Seracol. Sometime I can't remember if the call... During the interview, Mark struggles with a timeline. He tells the trooper he's a recovering drug addict, that he had taken an anti-psychotic drug Tuesday night called Seroquel, and just couldn't recall certain things. The last call I heard, I asked him on one of the calls, are you walking? Because he already told me he was out of gas, he was running out of gas, that one of the calls before, and I says, are you walking? Because I hear cars going by, and he, his answer to me was no. After the call, did you text him? I believe the last text, if my mind calls me correct, that I looked at it was 3.37 a.m. Now, was he coming over here? He was supposed to be. He was supposed to be on the way. But from what I'm learning, he was headed home. When, when, the, phone or when the phone call dropped and he was walking, did you ever make a comment or ask him, do you want me to come get you? I couldn't come get him, and that was what I was saying. Why couldn't you come get him? I didn't have enough gas, and he didn't want me to come with the gas that was in the car. The last text or the last phone call, what was the last thing y'all said to one another? The last thing he said is, I'm on my way. Um, the text, I, I'm not sure which one came. I believe it said I'm 30, 40 minutes away. Did you text him back and say anything? I believe I did, but I don't. Okay, what did you say to him? I don't remember. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you, Seroquel was already in my body at that point. This is Corporal Duncan, South Carolina Highway Patrol, mate, post C. Case number on this will be CL-062-15. It's reference to a collision in Hampton County. July 9, 2015, the day after Stephen's body is found in the middle of Sandy Run Road. Times approximately uh, 10.30 in the morning. One of the investigators we hear in the interviews, it's Corporal Duncan, and he's overseeing the South Carolina Highway Patrol's investigation for MATE. That stands for Multidisciplinary Accident Investigation Team. Here on uh, the inactive collusion scene. He's talking about what he saw at the accident scene. Two-lane roadway, uh, level, um, sight distance not an issue. Uh, however, this collusion occurred uh, approximately at night approximately 1 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock, so visibility will be used with uh, headlights only. There's no other ambient lighting in the area. Um, as far as uh, evidence here, there is only uh, evidence of where the body was found. He notes that there are no street lights, just headlights to illuminate the road. There's no car parts, no any type of uh, uh, parts to a car or truck or any other vehicle. There is no body trauma other than to the head area. There is some uh, scrapes and scratches on his left and right arm, on his knuckles, some across his face. Um, does not appear to be, in my opinion, uh, uh, struck by a vehicle, uh, possibly something else. Uh, if it was struck by a vehicle, very low speed but his injuries are pertain to his head area, 
of, uh, I believe the coroner stated it was uh, uh, blunt force trauma. Other than uh, his body being found in the roadway, there was a guy who found it, wants to speak with him, uh, Mr. Capers, we'll speak with him. Uh, Ronnie Capers, please. Here's a little more of Duncan's interview with the man who found Stephen's body and called 911 early Wednesday morning. Ronnie Capers. Did you think there was something suspicious about as a reason why you didn't stop? Uh, well, like I said, the car things happen now. I thought somebody was shooting a cat on out there that time of morning. Okay, all right. By the sounds of it, Capers is basically worried that he's come up on an early morning shooting by the way the body is laying there. So you you felt like that there was something more to it than just uh, just a body laid up in the road, is that correct? Yes, yeah, sir. So, like I said, my safety, I kept going and I called 911. All right. Now, let me ask you this. Can you describe where the body was laying at in the roadway? Was it on the right-hand side, middle, or the left-hand side as you were traveling? It was on the Oh, we're going down the road. It's on the left hand side, halfway in the room. Halfway in the room? Yes, sir. Okay. If I, if I was going, if I was going a, little, a little faster or something, I probably ran over it. Okay, so you you would have probably have ran over it if you wouldn't have uh, seen it. Yes, sir. Now, as you've already heard, the mate team involves several other state troopers who handled the investigation. State law enforcement officers from SLED, well, they arrive at 6 a.m. at the incident. By then, the report says that the Hampton County Coroner's Office has already moved Stephen's body from its position. County Coroner Ernie Washington says there's a hole in Stephen's skull above his right eye. Says it's still unclear if this hole was caused by a projectile. A gunshot residue kit, it's called GSR, is collected for the autopsy. Also noted in the report that day, Stephen's car key in his front left pocket. There's blood on his right arm, left arm, hand and head. His shoes on his feet, they're loosely tied. And Stephen's yellow car is found three miles away on Bamberg Highway. The car's gas tank door is open and the gas cap is off. The car doors are still locked. The officer's report says the car's battery is functional but would not start, and Stephen's wallet, it's still in the car, too. Everybody that we have talked to has kind of come up with the same thing. A nice, you know, young man um, was attending Orangeburg Tech, and apparently, um, from what we've gathered so far, uh, had mechanical problems with his vehicle on the way home, uh, run out of fuel, or had some kind of problem and started walking. Um, like I said, we don't know for sure, hadn't had anybody to tell us anything different. But then Stephen's mom, Sandra, she says this story takes a turn. Her dad got the call to go to the sheriff's department in Hampton County. And then they, that's where they confirmed that it was Stephen. And they said he was shot in the head. And then it turned out it was a hit and run. And then he was beat up. And so the story just kept changing over and over. I just couldn't believe it, but he, when they told me hit and run, I said, that's impossible because Stephen wouldn't have been walking in the road to start with. He would have cut through the woods. He would not have been in the highway. And Stephanie backs her up. They knew how to get home on a country road, she says. Every time me and him walked in the, 
the middle of the road if we heard a car or you know seen a car we would jump in the woods and wait until it passed us you know because he always said nobody's going to get my sexy behind you know so we that's what we did we did it when we were younger older it didn't matter you know because he just always believed in getting kidnapped so when they said that I was just like no that's not Steven I stayed up the night before because he never came home and he would knock on my window to ask me to let him in the house. Now when they send Stephen's body over for the autopsy, there's a note in the case file. SLED tells both the highway patrol and the coroner's office that they're not needed at Stephen's autopsy. MUSC pathologist Dr. Aaron Presnell performs the autopsy and says gunshot residue is negative. She concludes it was a hit and run that Stephen well, he must have gotten clipped by something like a vehicle mirror. At that point, you know, I had been in law enforcement on the highway patrol for, you know, 15 years. Um, I've worked several collisions, hit and run collisions. Um, nothing about this case from the very beginning um, pointed towards it being a hit and run. Now that's South Carolina Highway Patrol Lance Corporal Todd Proctor. As any investigator, you go off of the evidence. Um, there was no evidence that that you know pointed towards this being a hit and run or a vehicle even being involved in it. Um, it looked like it was more staged, um, like possibly the body had been placed in the roadway. Proctor says he went to go see Dr. Presnell a couple of weeks after Stephen's death. According to Proctor's description, it didn't go well. Since this is just a report in the case file, I'll have an ABC News 4 staffer read the report made by Proctor about his visit to the pathologist, Dr. Presnell. As soon as Dr. Presnell came into the room, she began in a negative tone, stating that I did not have a meeting scheduled and that she was very busy. She stated she could not even begin speaking with me without the coroner's consent. I advised her that I had spoken with the coroner the day before, and she basically called me a liar and said she would call him right now. When I asked if she wanted to call from my cell phone, she backed off. I asked her why she stated that in the report, and her answer was, because he was found in the road. She had no evidence other than that for the statement being put in the report. She asked why we did not think it was a vehicle strike, and I explained to her that we had no evidence of this individual being struck by a vehicle. When I asked her if someone with a baseball bat could do that, she stated no. When I probed further saying, what about someone with a baseball bat and a moving car with a bat? She stated, well, I guess it's possible. She then asked if we found a bat as evidence. I could see this conversation wasn't going to yield any positive results. As I was leaving, she stated that the report was preliminary and it was my job to figure out what it was that struck him not hers. Coroner Washington was at the scene on July 8th. He tells investigators that he also told Dr. Presnell he thought she'd gotten it wrong. In the end, the coroner tells investigators that Dr. Presnell said she would change her finding to whatever the coroner wanted. On July 29th, three weeks after his death, several single layer metallic blue chips of paint are found on Stephen's shirt his cargo shorts and shoes, what he was wearing when he died. But due to the condition, no information on a possible make, model, or even a year of a car is identified. So was there someone else involved in Stephen's death? 
Well, there were rumors. You're going to hear all kind of rumors, you know, just because Stephen was gay. I said, but I don't see any reason why they would, any reason they would have to, you know, harm Stephen. But then later on, it just kept coming up, Murdoch's, Murdoch's, Murdoch's. And then everything was just like swept under the rug, all misplaced evidence. And so then that just got me to thinking, well, maybe they did have something to do with it. So what is the alleged tie to the Murdochs? A lot of gossip for a small town. I do remember someone saying something about Buster, but I don't, it didn't really go into detail. This is my issue, and this is what I've told, you know, the rest of them. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm out of Charleston, so I'm not from Hampton, but I know that the Murdoch name in Hampton is pretty big. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I couldn't give two craps about the Murdochs, okay? But what, what I'm seeing is, is that a lot of people seem a little hesitant to um, speak about Buster or, or the Murdochs in general. Um, do you, do you, do you kind of see, do you kind of see that? Yes, sir. Okay. Because um, when we were speaking about Someone told me that it was Buster, and I was like, it was saying, if it's him, it's, nothing was going to be done about it because of who he was. But the Murdochs are not the only ones on law enforcement's radar back in 2015. Are you willing to take a lie detector test saying you don't know anything about his death or had anything to do with that death? I know a lot about what... I didn't ask you that. Are you willing to... I'm willing to take a wide detector test. Unsolved South Carolina was brought to you by me, Ann Emerson, along with producer Drew Trupp and editor Daniel Michener. Original music by Maxwell Harrison. Coming up next week, where the investigation leads in Stephen Smith's death, then... He didn't deserve to have his life taken away like this. And he deserves justice now. And now... Been waiting on this for six years. Well, it's not going to bring Stephen back, but I will have a peace of mind to know whoever did this is going to pay. If you enjoyed listening today, please consider rating and reviewing. It goes a long way to help others discover this podcast. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.